This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, October 14th. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Smart looks to get more accessible, a day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole, Wild Gal's owner talks seasonal bounty, and a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation is working to become more inclusive and accessible for older adults and those with disabilities in the community. Over the past several months, through a number of focus groups and surveys, SMART has been working to collect data on potential areas for increased service and accessibility. This week, Jason Miller, a consultant working on the project, presented a number of recommendations to the SMART board. Miller notes they broke the recommendations down into four categories. Improvements and expansion on existing services, new services, marking and promotion, and partnerships. Miller adds, SMART won't necessarily be responsible for implementing all the recommendations. They have worked with All Points, an organization in the region providing transportation for seniors. The first category, improvements. The first category is improvements to existing services. Here's Miller. All Points operates a medical shuttle um, sponsored by Tri County Health uh, that has uh, standard days to go. Um, outside uh, to uh, Montrose and, and Grand Junction to uh, access uh, medical services. But their their schedule isn't standardized at this point. So the, the model they have today is that, you know, they wait for the first uh, person to book a trip and they build that trip around that person. So our recommendation is to really standardize it to say, hey, we leave at, you know, 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever it might be from uh, the, you know, Nuclean Atarita area, for example, We travel to Montrose, we're there from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and we travel back. Miller says they believe that will make it easier for individuals to schedule appointments and have assurance in transportation timing. We also think it's important, the second recommendation here, um, to increase the the frequency of that um, so that you would have multiple departures per week uh, going um, into Montrose and Grand Junction uh, based on the, the service today. Finally, Miller recommends implementing a West End dial-a-ride service. When it comes to new services, Miller says they heard support for a shuttle to Durango. He also recommends looking into a West End volunteer drive program and a senior lunch dial-a-ride. The senior lunch dial-a-ride, I mean, that one's uh, coming back uh, in fits and starts in the West End, but we think adding service for the Telluride lunch and food bank pickups could be really good. Um, that's not something that exists today. Uh, so uh, and comes with a relatively small um, price tag. For marketing and promotion, Miller recommends marketing campaigns and a single website so individuals can easily find the information they're looking for. He notes local partnerships will be key for making that awareness a reality. There is no definite timeline for the services to get implemented, and a number of stakeholders still need buy-in on the plan. But the SMART board, including Adrian Christie, is supportive of the direction. I worked at Tri-County for a fair amount of time and worked on projects where, you know, medical transportation was a real issue. And um, I think that the current system we have is broken and hopefully we can work 
with this plan that you're developing to make that system better, it definitely is not the cure-all, but it's a step in sort of acknowledging that this is something that our community values. So thank you for the work, and I'm excited to see the final plan. Miller and his team will continue to develop a final roadmap for increasing service. At that point, SMART will go back to the community and stakeholders to identify key priorities. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. School spirit was in high volume at Telluride High School this week. In this installment of A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole brings the latest from homecoming. This is Finton Cole on your sports update. It's homecoming week at Telluride High School. Boys varsity soccer won against the Rocky Mountain Oil- Oysters 5-1 and won against the Ridgeway Demons 3-1. I went to the game against Ridgeway and recorded a spectacular goal off of Taylor Holmes' corner kick. The limbs went crazy as the Miners went up 2-1. to one. That was the score when I left, and the Miners scored another goal while I was out to seal up the game with a 3-1 to one victory. The team's record is 7-5 and five going into a road game against the Caprock Academy Eagles. If they win against the Eagles, they're playoff locked. Next week, we're going to interview Mrs. Yana Pollard for boys basketball, as that will start in December. That's it for the your updates for this week. I'm Fintan Cole, reporting live from Toad High School, and we'll see you next week. It's harvest season. And as frost is coming to our part of the world, farms are putting out their last bounties in a great final push. What should we be cooking with all the good food coming to market before the winter hiatus? I sat down with Galit Korngold at the Nukla Heritage Festival to talk about what's in season and what we should be cooking at this delicious moment. Right now, all the nightshades are coming in hot. So the tomatoes, the peppers, uh, we just finished corn season, melons are still going off, um, but it's chili season and we can get them roasted or fresh. Potatoes, onions, all the root crops are coming in hot. We got the winter squashes, all the different varieties and pumpkins. Corngold is the proprietor of Wild Gals Market, which she's run for the past two years out of a sunny little storefront on Nucla's main drag. As the bluegrass band begins to play on the Nucla's town stage, Corngold says cooking is connected to her true calling in life. Yeah, I, I was actually a graphic designer professionally for the last 30 years before I came, before I became a, a store owner and a, and a cook. I, I consider myself a Jewish mother. I love to feed. It's my thing. And uh, the biggest pleasure I get is seeing people enjoy my food. Between the diverse landscapes of high mountain peaks and drought-stricken desert, the local food scene of the Western Slope can be hard to navigate. But when Korngold opened her store, she started by building a network of food producers across the region. I started making my own connections, traveling all around this area, 
every week to go hit the farms and find the good stuff and the best deals and the freshest. So right now we're getting food from farmers in Norwood, in Olathe, in Montrose, near Grand Junction, uh, Palisade, and uh, Dominguez Canyon between Delta and Grand Junction. Um, built some really nice relationships with these farmers and it's, it's one of the best parts of my week. If you've stopped by a farmer's market lately, chances are you walked away overburdened with veggies. When asked what to make with the season's bounty, Korngold says to aim for big hearty pots of things that use up all the fresh produce. Well, it's definitely soup season, so that's what we do. We, we make soups with whatever's in season and whatever we have way too much of. I get very excited when I buy produce and I tend to buy too much. So we make butternut soup, we make ratatouille, it's a perfect time for that, peppers, eggplant, tomato, onions, zucchini, all that good stuff stewed together. What else? Oh, it's also, yeah, we're going to make chicken soup and kale and sausage soup. Those, All those kind of things are really tis the season for that, and pies. When cooking, Korngold also draws inspiration from her heritage. Uh, so Israeli is really the major part of my background. So we actually, for our store, we make Israeli salad, which is a chopped tomato, cucumber, onion salad. We make hummus every week, and it's the best hummus on this side of the Rockies. We make tzatziki, that's Greek. We make Moroccan stuff like salad kuit, which literally t translates to cooked salad, and it's stewed tomatoes and green peppers and a ton of garlic, low and slow until it's thick, thick, and you eat it with bread. We're feeders. We're lucky that we landed in a community of eaters. <laughs> Korngold says cooking for her community is the best part of her week. The spirit of Wild Gals is to get creative and let loose in the kitchen. With whatever bounty you have, Korngold says cooking, at long last, is about a feeling of togetherness. It's an art form and it's a show of love. It's a love language and an art form. Surrounded by apples, pears, and baked goods galore at the Nuclea Town Park, it's the perfect time to celebrate. And afterwards, head home towards the warmth and promise of the kitchen stove. The true quiet of off-season has not officially begun until the gentle hum of the gondola ceases to rumble from the Oak Street Plaza. That date is coming right up. The final day of operation for the summer season will be this Sunday, October 26. After that, the gondola will then close to passengers until November 28th when it reopens for the winter season. In the interim, the gondola will undergo some light repairs and maintenance. Telski is entering a busy phase of preparations for the coming ski season. The resort is working to finish construction on Chair 9, complete significant snowmaking upgrades, and roll out a new pass system. As such, the resort will close entirely to the public beginning on Monday, October 17th, coinciding with the seasonal closure of the gondola. 
Chelsky is asking that the public refrain from hiking, biking, skiing, exploring, and otherwise using its trails during this time. This will allow all projects, some of which include heavy machinery, to be safely completed. The resort plans to reopen for the upcoming season on November 24th. When that new season arrives, Telski will be using a brand new RFID pass system for its lifts. Lift operators will scan the RFID passes in order to efficiently check tickets before recreators head up the mountain. As such, all ticket cards printed in past years will no longer function, and skiers will need a new card for the 2022-2023 season. World Food Day is this Sunday, October 16th, which is celebrated across the globe by organizations working towards food security and sustainability. Here in Telluride, the day will be marked by a potluck at the library, so stop by the program room between 2 and 4 p.m. Sunday with a dish and a recipe to share. All are welcome, and participants will be invited to taste others' dishes as well as share their own. Demand for services at the Food Bank of the Rockies Western Slope Distribution Center in Palisade is up 28% since March 2020. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KVNF's Laura Palmasano speaks with the organization's Western Slope Director, Sue Ellen Rodwick, about how the agency is meeting the increased need in the 13 counties it serves. Sue Ellen, please discuss how demand for services on the food bank has grown since the pandemic. The Western Slope has seen the highest increase of need in the whole state of Colorado. We are distributing 28% more food than we were before the pandemic. So we've gone from eight and a half million pounds of food and distribution. And last year we ended at 12.12 and a half million pounds of food for that year. You know, more people are needing food assistance due to high inflation costs. It's also, we are doing a better job of reaching people who always needed food assistance. One of those ways is through our culturally responsive food initiative where um, we piloted that program in the Aspen to Parachute region back in 2020, asking our neighbors what foods they wanted to be seeing. And we received feedback like, we don't want the canned beans, we prefer dried beans. Um, some families want to make their tortillas out of masa flour. Some are fine with flour tortillas already made. So providing those varieties and during the holidays, which are coming up for Navidad, we'll have corn husks for making tamales as well. How does Food Bank of the Rockies serve 13 counties on the western slope? We serve that many counties because we do have a fleet of trucks, a couple of semis, a couple of box trucks, and several drivers. Our area extends from Steamboat Springs, and then the other corner, we go all the way to Nucla and the Norwood area, and all the way out to the Utah border and all the mountain areas in between. So we deliver to most of those areas every week, making sure that we have fresh produce, which is a big thing that we we focus on. Over 30% of what we distribute is fresh produce. Um, when we can, it's produce that's coming from this region. 
On the topic of fresh produce, discuss how the food bank has partnered with local farmers to distribute that produce. We have some of our traditional partners. We've worked with Talbot's Farms, the largest peach grower in the area. We've worked with them for years. Um, They've supplied us and donated to us peaches. A couple of years ago, we started working with Tuxedo Farms and um, supplying Sweet Aletha corn. And those two crops, not only are we able to benefit from those here, but then we're also able to share that with the rest of the Food Bank of the Rockies territory that covers most of northern Colorado and all of Wyoming. And then when we receive a lot of donations for some of those large crops like the peaches, we also extend that sharing to all the food banks in Colorado. And then some new partnerships that we've started with just this year, um, we received donations from Springborn, which is a innovative greenhouse in silt. We are also working with farm runners in the Paonia area to provide produce directly to the Surface Creek Food Pantry up in Cedar Edge area. Where is your agency seeing the greatest need? Undoubtedly, it is the Aspen to Parachute region. That was the first part of the state that was hit with the COVID outbreak. That region is very dependent on the economic driver of Aspen Resort. So we have have gone from before the pandemic, we had three different monthly distributions um, through our mobile pantries in that area. And now we have three weekly and then one every other week distributions. I read on your website that the food bank has gone from about two trucks of food per week to up to 11. How has that impacted your resources and strain on services? That's the number of trucks that are coming to our warehouse. So when we first moved into this building in Palisade back in 2013, we were only receiving two trucks a week. During the height of the pandemic, we were receiving up to 10 trucks a week, and we're still seeing close to that level. So being in a neighborhood, we are very thankful for our neighbors for being patient um, because we do have a lot of contract drivers that haven't been to Palisade and driving around, but that's why we're excited about our new facility that will be opening up in Grand Junction before the end of the year. It's over on more of the industrial side of Grand Junction between the two exits for 24 and 22 roads, so it's going to be a lot easier access for all of our partners and drivers that are delivering food to us. What can people do to help? Well, we are always ready to receive donations. Every dollar that is donated to us results in us being able to provide three meals to our neighbors. And then we also love volunteers. Um, We have a distribution in Delta once a month. So we would love volunteers to help with that distribution. And then we also, we partner with local food pantries and soup kitchens and kids programs So if you're not able to directly work with us, then supporting one of our partners and getting involved with them is another great way to to give back to your community. Thank you for your time, Sue Ellen. Yes, thank you, Laura. That story with KVNF was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KOTO. 
Colorado lawmakers are embracing a secret online voting system to help decide which bills should live or die. Supporters say it gives more elected officials a voice and takes drama out of decision-making. But as KUNC investigative reporter Scott Franz tells us, some lawmakers and government transparency advocates are sounding the alarm, saying the secret votes shut the public out of key decisions and may even violate open meeting laws. Budget debates at the state capitol used to get pretty messy and even violent. Cliff Dodge was a state senator, and somebody took a scissors and cut off his, his tie. Jeff Roberts covered some of the most heated debates for the Denver Post back in the 1980s. He remembers one lasting three weeks. They got pretty goofy in them sometimes. And some lawmakers didn't like letting the public watch them while they hashed out their differences. A state senator even sued to make the caucus meetings private. And eventually the Colorado Supreme Court said, no, they're open. And, and there's a wonderful quote in that ruling that I use all the time about the importance of freedom of information laws. It says people need to be in the room watching the activities of government so they can vote intelligently and hold their leaders accountable. But the public's access to that information is facing a new threat. Today, Colorado lawmakers are making more and more of their most consequential decisions in the privacy of their homes. And a relatively new piece of technology is helping them do it. Each spring, they log on to a secret voting system to decide which bills they should pay for. Legislation that doesn't score high enough is put on a shelf to die quietly without a vote. State Senator Chris Hansen says the system allows lawmakers to express how they really feel. It's a secret ballot, essentially. Hansen is explaining how it works to a group called Radical Exchange. It helped lawmakers carry out their first secret survey. You know, you're filling this thing out in your pajamas, uh, you know, in the comfort of your own home, you know, sitting by yourself. And so, you know, we get, I think, a better indication of people's actual preferences Hansen brought it to the Capitol in 2019 as an experiment. Dozens of bills were competing against each other for funding at the time, and there were only so many dollars to go around. Hansen wanted a mathematical way to help the House Appropriations Committee decide which bills to pass. This is perfect for this situation where you've got a limited amount of money, and you've got this long list of bills that are vying for that money. Quadratic voting has now become part of the fabric of decision-making at the Capitol. Hansen says all of the Democratic lawmakers are using it now, and Republican senators are trying it out too. But the results are anonymous, and the public isn't allowed to see them. KUNC asked Hansen and other lawmakers for copies of the results because we were trying to figure out why some wildfire prevention bills suddenly died without a public vote this spring. But lawmakers denied our records requests. Some wouldn't even respond to questions about it. Hansen says the outcome is confidential. So it's not something that's in the public domain. And, and we think that's really important because we want people to be able to express, you know, their opinion in the survey um, and do it in a way where it's anonymous so that we're not getting undue pressure by peers, you know, oh, you must vote for mine and I'll know if you didn't. But when contacted by KUNC about the voting system, some lawmakers said they are concerned. Is it, uh, you know, away from the important sunshine of the public and the press? It is. Carrie Donovan is a Democratic state senator from Vail. Can it get manipulated by lobbyists? 
it, it certainly can. Donovan also blames the secret survey for the death of one of her top bills of the year. It would have created a new team of people to investigate wildfires in the state. It passed the Senate unanimously, a rare feat in such a polarized chamber. But the bill died a quiet death after the House refused to take it up for a single hearing. Donovan says since there was no public opposition or explanation for why the bill died, its fate must have been sealed in the survey. I don't think it's outside the realm to say that if this bill had ranked higher in the preference polling process, that it would be law and we would be investigating the causes of wildfires in the state to a more uh, complete level. Donovan says the survey started with good intentions, but lobbyists know about it now, and they are sending personal messages to lawmakers before the votes. When something becomes confidential, it does stifle discussion. And when the lobby court infiltrates a process that was really meant to solely be used by elected members to have an internal process, that was unfortunate to see this past session. Jeff Roberts also has concerns. He's the former Denver Post reporter who had a front row seat to the heated budget debates three decades ago. He's now the head of the Colorado Freedom of Information Coalition, which advocates for government transparency. The formation of public policy is public business and may not be conducted in secret. What are they doing with this? It sounds like they're conducting the formation of public policy in secret. Senator Hansen disagrees. He bristles at the idea his voting system isn't transparent. There's no subterfuge or, you know, anything that is, is uh, you know, the, the curtain being drawn in some kind of uh, nefarious way here. This is just a way for us as the legislature to improve our ability to, uh, to, to work through this very complicated process. But with billions of dollars at stake in the most recent sessions, Roberts says efficiency shouldn't come at the expense of transparency. That's cool that they're, you know, they're coming up with a efficient way of, of figuring out how people stand on something, on an issue. But it's still figuring out how legislators stand on an issue. And, and that's supposed to be done in public, I believe. That's the sunshine law. Colorado also has laws banning elected officials from using secret ballots to make decisions other than choosing their leaders. If you can't get the records about it, you can't attend the caucus meeting in any way where these decisions are made, even informally, the public is shut out of that. The press is shut out of that. And to me, it just seems like that's not the spirit or the letter of the open meetings law. Hansen says it's not the only method lawmakers use to decide the fate of a bill, but when the results are kept secret, it's impossible to dig deeper. I'm Scott Franz. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-30s. Saturday should be sunny with a high near 60, and Saturday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 40 degrees. Sunday calls for a chance of some showers and snow in the morning with a slight chance of showers continuing throughout the day. The high will be around 50. Sunday night calls for a slight chance of showers with lows in the mid-30s. This has been the news for Friday, October 14th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.